Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Jocelyn and Chris Hart are siblings who grew up in northern New York playing music and writing songs that are inspired by classic rock, but updated for today. They combine Jocelyn's expansive vocal range, control, and stylings with Chris's blazing and nuanced virtuoso guitar and added the brains to graduate from Harvard University while launching their careers. They have taken three consecutive radio singles to the Billboard Adult Alternative Album, or AAA, Top 40 charts. Two of their records went to number one on the Jam Band's album charts. They've been featured artists at South by Southwest, Sundance ASCAP Music Cafe, and the main stage at the Mountain Jam Music Festival. Their album work and live performances have garnered rave reviews and a national performance on NBC's Today Show. Welcome to Backstory Song. I'm your host, Doug Burke, and today I am thrilled and honored to have Jocelyn and Chris on our show. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having us. Hi. You guys are siblings who grew up in Fort Plain, New York, which is, I guess, outside of Albany in upstate New York. And I've seen a bunch of videos from you in North Creek recently where Gore Mountain is. And then both of you went to Harvard University, and I can't imagine there are two more dissimilar places. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be right about that. Um, it was a little bit, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, culture shock? Definitely. That was definitely how I felt freshman year. I was kind of a fish, fish out of water. A lot more people in Boston and a lot less cows, but <laughs> we worked it out eventually. <laughs> So I looked up Fort Plain, and it's a population in the latest census of 2,322. It is at the junction of the Mohawk River and the, help me out here, Ostaquago Creek. Did I say that? You know, I'm going to go ahead and say that that's correct because I we lived there for 18 <laughs> years, yeah. and I don't think I know how to pronounce it. <laughs> it's near the towns of Minden and Canada. Oh yeah, Kanjo, Kanjahari. That's our that's our Kanjahari. Yeah, everybody calls it Kanjo. They got the throughway exit. Fort Plain didn't get the throughway exit. We're not bitter at all about it. It's fine. We can handle ourselves without a throughway exit, but Kanjo got the exit and they're three miles down the road and they're our biggest rival in everything. At least we see it that way. I don't know if they see it that way, but sort of, yeah, that's Kanjo. That's the other side. So you guys have this like sibling chemistry and we can maybe talk about the, if there's also this sibling rivalry or anything in your music and your work. But in doing my research on you, the critics or the reviewers have said the people they liken both of you to, because you are the vocalist and Chris, you are the guitarist in the group, include Janis Joplin, Grace Slick, Stevie Nicks, Queen, I guess they mean Freddie Mercury, Grace Potter, PJ Harvey, 
I personally think there's some pink and Christine Aguilera. Chris, you've been compared to Joe Perry, Tom Petty, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Joe Bonamassa, David Gilmore, and the legendary Jimi Hendrix. So that's some pretty, you know, powerful inspirations here. I mean, is this accurate? I mean, it's crazy to me when people say things like that because those are those are my heroes. I mean, those are the people that we grew up listening to and to be compared to them. It always sends me into a little bit of a like, oh my gosh, that's like that's wild. But Definitely appreciated when people say those things because, again, those are the singers and artists that we grew up just idolizing and listening to. And we definitely try to take their energy and put our own spin on it, but definitely always gravitated toward those big voices. Like you mentioned, Freddie Mercury is, is a huge, a huge hero of mine, not only for how he sings, but just how he, he just, you believe it. He sings it and you totally believe every word, hook, line, and sinker. And he just performs with his whole body, which is something I really try to do. Like he just throws himself around. And and like you said, I mean, Janis Joplin does the same thing. And oh, Grace Slick. Grace Slick, don't even get me started on Grace Slick. I love her so much. She had this intensity. Like I love watching performances of her because she'll just stare at the camera and the camera loses the staring contest. You know what I mean? Like she just has that energy where she's like, I'm just going to look at the camera for five minutes straight and I'm not even going to blink. And like, you're going to love it. And and people do. But yeah, Chris, Chris, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I think those are flattering <laughs> comparisons. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you said it all. It's like these people are the people that we grew up listening to and idolizing. And it's, you know, we get home from school and like, kindergarten or first grade or whatever and we'd go to our parents cd collection and we'd grab something and put it on and it'd be like Jimi hendrix or janis joplin or somebody like that and we just fell in love with that era and those people at such a young age that to like grow up and start doing our own music and for people to see those influences in us is like one of the biggest compliments i think anyone could get like when somebody compared me to like joe bonamassa or steve ray vaughn or Jimi hendrix it's like i <laughs> it's just the best feeling in the world <laughs> You know, you've given a lot of interviews where you've talked about how these people inspired you and your music reviewers say that it's infused with the 60s and 70s. And But I really feel like your new album, The Fun and the Fight, is really you guys coming into your own and finding your own sound. You know, maybe it's inspired by that, but it's really a maturation and it's wonderful. But I want to step back to Fort Plain. And your parents, because these people seem amazing to me. They have a great record collection <laughs> and they fed you this stuff in upstate New York, you know, saw this gift in the two of you and nurtured it and cultivated. it. And you mentioned your parents, but like, maybe they deserve some credit here. Oh my gosh. All the credit goes to mom and dad. Shout out to mom and dad. I'm sure they're listening to this. I mean... We won the lottery in the parent department. Definitely, definitely we have the best mom and dad in the world. And from the moment we started playing music, they were totally on board with it. And that is just, I think it's something that Chris and I even, you know, we try not to take for granted because they have been totally 100% on board with it from the very beginning. You know, when they were driving us to piano lessons and 
clearing room in the living room so that we could put a baby grand piano we found at a farm implement auction in the corner. You know, like like they have been so on board. And I know that it's not like that for a lot of musicians. And I know, I always wonder like how many more musicians would be out there doing their thing if they had parents like ours. Just because, you know, it's difficult, but having them always supporting us has made it just that much easier. And yeah, you said it. They also have a kick-ass record collection, which really helped, especially <laughs> we grew up in, you know, in Fort Play, New York, there are two radio stations that you get. You sort of get them. And they're both country. I love country. We we grew up listening to a lot of old school country and, and modern country. And but having that variety of being able to go home and hear, you know, hear Queen and hear Meatloaf Bad Out of Hell and hear Natalie Merchant and all these, you know, wonderful artists. It was just, it was Candyland, you know. Chris, you want to thank your parents or did Jocelyn cover it? No, I'm no, just kidding. Uh, yeah, no, honestly, I mean, again, I can't really think of anything to say that Jocelyn didn't already say, but just to like really hammer it home. I guess our parents' motto has always been they were supportive of anything we wanted to do as long as we tried our best. We fell in love with music at a really young age, and they've been supportive of us ever since. Yeah, Like Jocelyn was saying, driving us to piano lessons, up through driving us to gigs in our high school band, up through when we got into Harvard and we were like, should we go to school or should we pursue music? We've begun working with our manager at that point, and our manager and our parents sat down and they decided that it was reasonable for us to try to do both. And I don't think there are a lot of parents in the world that would have been like, oh yeah, you know, you're going to Harvard, but like you can keep doing that rock band thing if you want. And having mom and dad be that supportive, be like that into our passion, it was just, I don't think we would be anywhere near where we are today without them. Oh, that's great. There's hope for all of us as parents. It's a hard job. There's no manual when the babies are born. So when did you two start writing songs and why did you start writing songs? So we started writing songs, I think I was in like seventh grade, maybe. Uh, I'd been messing around with like trying to come up with my own chord progressions on the guitar for a little while. And Jocelyn had been fooling around with coming up with her own melodies. Um, but what really cemented it was we played this one show we were actually the intermission band. It was my sister and I just as a duo. It was like a concert actually in Kanjahari, that town you were mentioning earlier. We played there and the concert was sponsored by a radio station that's a pretty big radio station in this area of the country. They're called WEXT, They're like all independent. And the MC came up to us after the show. He was like, you know, you guys are really good. If you ever write original music, let me know and I'll play it on the air. We were just like, wait, what? You can you can do that? You can just like write music and it can get on the radio? That's that's like not what? A, like I the radio, only... like the two country music stations. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no better incentive for like an eleven year old and a twelve year old than saying, Hey, you want to hear yourself on the radio? Like write us a song. So I think we went home that night and I came up with a chord progression and we went over to Jocelyn and I started working together and within a couple of weeks we'd written our first ever. It's definitely song. a weird step. I feel like going from listening to music and even learning to play other people's music to suddenly thinking that maybe that's like something that you can do yourself. I feel like for us, it was sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, we can make up a chord progression, but that's not a I guess we didn't really associate it as like 
you know, we could do our own songwriting. It would seem like such a foreign concept until his name's Dave, the guy from WEXT. And we still, to this day, hang out with him and share new music with him. And those guys have just been really awesome from the start. After we wrote that first song, I remember we wrote a few more and we kind of just caught the bug. It was so fun and it was so much more rewarding playing our own music. I mean, I love playing other people's music too, but just playing something and knowing that you created it from start to finish is such a rewarding feeling. I think we got addicted to it pretty quickly. And I remember sitting in the high school parking lot. Well, because the middle school and the high school are combined because there's like 500 kids total. Um, I remember Dave calling us and being like, you should have the radio on at, you know, 735 on Wednesday morning. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we drive to school. Dad drives with us because he's a teacher at the school. And we're all huddled in our blue Nissan Versa in the parking lot. 20 minutes before school supposed to start, we dial in WEXT and we're on the radio. And it was me singing and it was Chris playing guitar. And it was just like, wow. Like, I just remember it so clearly because it just seemed like this impossibility just became real so quickly. And it was wild. And we've been chasing that ever since, I think. What's that feeling like besides magical? It's just, I think, you know, a lot goes into songs from start to finish, from, you know, the idea to all the countless iterations it goes through to all the feelings of frustration when it's not going right to the reward when you finally get that chord progression to just make sense in your brain. And, and then I share it with Chris or he shares his idea with me. And then, you know, we start working together on the song and it becomes something that we made together. I don't know. It's just sort of, it's hard to explain all the energy and effort that goes into a song, but it's just so satisfying to pretty that up into this finished recording and be able to just say, listen to it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's indescribable. It's, it's really crazy. And I get the same feeling from performing too, just sharing that energy with people and being able to connect that way and play something and know that there's people listening to it. It's really, really cool. What was the name of the song that you heard on the radio for the first time on WEXT? That was more than I say I do, right? I think it was, That yeah. was the first ballad we ever wrote. Which, actually, that song has, I guess it's done a lot for us, because in addition to being the first song, uh, it was I think it was like the third song we ever wrote, but we wrote those three and we kind of recorded them as a group and we sent them to the radio station and that was the first like one Like our first played. demo. <laughs> but the management team that we work with now, it's because of that song. We were playing with an artist that they were working with back in like 2013 and they had never heard of us before because, you know, we were like in 11th grade at the time. They were like, who are these people? So they looked us up and they found that song. And they're David and Anna. And David looked up that song and he just, apparently, the way he tells the story, he just immediately fell in love with the sound. And so he decided to come out to the show and he approached us. And he basically, he's the guy who is responsible for, as much as our parents, our parents and David and Anna are the people who are responsible for us still doing music today. So that song has done a ton for our career. And so that's David Bourgeois? Is it? Yeah. And he, yes. Did I say that right? Uh, yeah, it's David Bourgeois. Bourgeois. Okay, now I've seen him playing drums in your band. Yes. Yes. In addition to being our manager, he also produces uh, He produces all of our music and he's our drummer. So he, he wears a lot of hats. You know what <laughs> I have to say? Because the two of you are electrifying as performers in your own right. Uh, around your own instruments, you know, you on vocals and you on guitar, 
Jocelyn and Chris. But he looks so happy when he's playing the drums and you guys are out there performing. And I can completely, as a fan in the audience, I can completely understand his happiness because he's not Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones sitting there stone-faced, emotionless. (laughs) He is really, really enjoying himself. Yeah. Well, that's what it's all about. You know, it's just like, I just love that music brings that out in everybody in a slightly different way. You know, you have those musicians that them having fun is like, that stank face, like bassists, you know, just jamming in the corner. And then you have the drummers that are just smiling and like really into it. And then, you know, you have Chris who's over there just vibing with his eyes closed. And me, I'm jumping around like a maniac. It's just like, oh, it's so much fun. Like, it's just so much fun. And uh, like infectious. It's just the most fun you could ever have in the world. So playing, getting to play with people who are also having fun and also like seem like they're having fun, it just makes it. It's like this collective, like a collective hallucination. I don't know. That's probably the wrong word, but it's something really just amazing that I have never experienced with anything else in life. Like hands down, music is just, it's the only thing. It really helps too that we've been working with David for so long. I mean, he's family at this point. So, I mean, what that fateful day at the Fonda Fair was like seven years ago. I stopped yeah. to think about that the other day and I was like, wow, I feel kind of old now. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it makes it that much better that we get to go out on the road and play our music with our best friends. So I have to ask one last thing on the birth of your group in Fort Plain. Your dad, what's his name? Ted. Ted. So Ted Arndt teaches at the high school. What subject does he teach? So he used to teach emotionally disabled kids, and now he teaches learning disabled, well, special ed, yeah. Okay. So you two Harvard grads never were taught by your dad. I, that was what I was curious about. If he ever had to grade you, and <laughs> you ever had to be taught by your dad in the high school in Ford Play. Oh, man, that would have been weird. Exactly. That would have been weird. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, no, it, it never happened, so... Luckily, you know, we, we kept our noses clean because he did the discipline stuff for a while too. But uh oh, like for the like the principals the discipline stuff for the whole school. He was the teacher that they would call in uh whenever there was a kid that was having a discipline problem and they needed someone to like drop the hammer. Yeah. <laughs> so you've been working on some new stuff? Is it coming out? Yeah, we've been we've been busy. Well, we've been trying to kind of look at the pandemic time as I don't know, we're always trying to find the silver lining and I think that's a little difficult right now, but we have had a lot of time on our hands. So we've been trying to uh, use the time to just make the best record ever, basically. So the first step is, you know, the best record ever. And our plans for 2021 are like, I don't know, world domination, hopefully. But uh, wow, that's a big we'll, start with, <laughs> we'll start with releasing uh, what I think is our best stuff yet. We don't have a solid timeline on that yet. It kind of depends on. Well, it depends on everything. Right. We need a vaccine. We need a lot of things to happen. Yeah. We want to be able to ideally go and see people and play the music for them in person. So whenever that can happen. You played the Sundance ASCAP Music Cafe in Park City, Utah, where I live. And you are booked on July 17th this year, 2021, hopefully, to come and play the Park City Institute which we're really excited about because the Park City Institute, in my opinion, 
does an amazing job of curating talent and to get selected by them. You know, if you buy a ticket to a Park City Institute event that you are going to see or listen to, in some cases, conversations that are enlightening, inspiring, engrossing. It is just an amazing organization and everything is curated well. You will not be disappointed if you buy a ticket to any show at the, the Park City Institute puts on, but I am so looking forward to seeing this concert. We're excited to play. Oh my gosh. You have no idea when we finally got the news that we booked like a real live show. It just felt like a breakthrough. I really, really am so excited to be back on the road and back in such a beautiful place and playing for beautiful people. I'm just, I'm really stoked about it. Cool. So we do have a lot of Park City listeners because we have covered a lot of the talent that has come through our area. So the album, The Fun and the Fight, one of the songs that we want to talk about off of it is called Out of My Head. Yes, Out of My Head. Can't get you out of my head Your white lies painted red I try to lie still but your kisses appear and I Tell me what this is about. I love how it starts off acapella and then you know, the guitar, sort of like sister brother intro. Yeah. So this song is, to me, our musical version of an earworm, kind of that, that thought or that feeling that just sticks in your brain and you can't get it out no matter what you do. And it starts simple. And then, you know, you have those feelings of frustration and those intense build up feelings of, oh my gosh, like, like fixation almost. So it starts simple. Like you said, it starts with the vocal and then Chris has that riff that comes in and it's just this slinky, wormy kind of riff that just gets stuck in your brain, kind of relating to, to what the lyrics are talking about, just being fixated on somebody and the relationship might not be great, but it's intense and it's interesting. And, <laughs> but yeah, Chris, I think that riff is, I just, I love that riff. Yeah, and no, honestly, uh, so we were writing that song. I think Jocelyn had kind of the idea for the very first lyric in the song. Like, I can't get you out of my head. And then from there, uh, basically the way that we write is one of us will come up with like a really small kernel of an idea like that. And then we'll bring it to the other one. And we kind of just throw the kitchen sink at it until stuff six. And I don't remember when we came up with that riff, but it was like immediate 
we wanted to write a riff-based song, so we were messing around with different stuff and trying a bunch of different riffs. And then I think I played that, and we just both looked at each other, and we were like, this is like the riff for this song. It just needs to be this. And after that, it fell into place pretty much immediately. Like, we just played it through almost right there. It was really an interesting songwriting session. Yeah, that riff becomes kind of the heartbeat of it, and then it builds and it builds and it builds, and then that bridge section is kind of frantic, and then it ends how it started. Yeah, a lot of your songs have this sort of rave up feel. You know, you have this powerful vocal instrument to be able to start a song a cappella. I'd be so off key half the time if I tried <laughs> to do something like that. I think a lot of people would. It's not the easiest thing to start. But I guess when it's the lyric like can't get you out of my head, you can't get the lyric out of your head. Maybe it's easier when it's like that. I've done a lot of practice to be able to do that. And and full disclosure, we do sometimes have little little cue notes in our in our little earbuds that help us out with that. Or sometimes Chris will sneak me a chord on the sly <laughs> and then I can pretend that I knew the note. <laughs> but yeah, and it's also, you know, with that build up, it it's really fun to perform it live because you can kind of really get into the character of, you know, starting small and then getting really wild and unhinged and then collapsing it back to the beginning. It's just, it's really fun. And Chris is over there just playing the bass and the heartbeat for the song. Yeah, like when you get to the break where the rave up goes nuts, you have so many layers of sound in that. What's coming in there? What other instruments besides yourself? Or is that just you and your foot pedals, Chris? Oh, it's, there is a ton on that. Uh, for, so we actually, we have a few different versions of the song. There's the, like Jocelyn and I play it as a duo sometimes. And then we've also played it as like a semi-acoustic band that's like cajon, bass, acoustic guitar, and one vocal line. Uh, we've done that on like a bunch of TV stuff. Uh, we did it on like the Today Show and a bunch of radio station stuff. But the recorded version of the song, which is, that's, I think that's my favorite, that's the one, basically, we get to that like build at the end and it's just, it's getting so intense and it's, it's basically our goal was to bring it to a level of intensity where we didn't think we could have made it any more intense. And so there's layers upon layers of guitar, but there is so much more on there as well. There's a bunch of synth work that David, our, our drummer producer, he's also a really, really excellent synth guy. He did a bunch of that stuff. There's a ton of layers of drums. I think there's actually two layers of bass on there with different effects. And then there's like basically a chorus of background vocals that are blended down to the point where you almost can't hear them. But we tried muting them before we took the song to like final mix. And uh, without them there, it makes like a huge difference. So there's a ton of stuff in there that it's all about. Like you don't necessarily notice those sounds. You don't like hear it and go like, oh yeah, that's like a chorus or like a synth line. but it just all comes together to become this unified like wall of like punch you in the face energy. I mean, it was exactly what we wanted to happen with the song. So when David took it that way in the production, we were really, really excited about it. That's the feeling I had. It's this wall of punch you in the face energy. I was like, oh my God, that perfect description. Um, <laughs> Aggressive. <laughs> so was there a person for either one of you that you couldn't get out of your head? It actually, so it didn't really come from anything in particular. I think it was mostly inspired by, honestly, the idea of getting an earworm and have it being stuck in your head and us being like, we want to write that kind of song that would just like annoy people, you know, <laughs> that would get stuck in their brain. Um, but yeah, it's funny. A lot of our music, I use it as an opportunity to 
tell stories and kind of build these characters that I swear I'm not like, I'm not that intense in real life, but I, I get to play that intense when I'm on stage. And I really like, like a lot of our songs have these sort of obsessive themes or like themes about toxic connections with other people, or I get to kind of be the bad guy sometimes. And I, I just, I love leaning into that because I mean, this is art, you know, you get to be whoever you want. That's like the cool thing about it. We, I mean, we write about our own experiences too, but yeah, this song was definitely born more out of just playing a character and building an earworm. Yeah. You know, it's in the video. You're like, you look a little bit disturbed. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Maybe by design there about this person, I guess, or this thing, I guess it's, you know, an earworm as opposed to a person. Well, you, you say your white lies painted red. What's a red lie? I feel like people have this idea that, you know, a white lie is, I guess a white lie is a lie that doesn't hurt anybody. Um, but to me, I feel like maybe a red lie would be you build up those white lies to the point where you, you think they're not hurting anybody, but they, they have an edge to them that comes out eventually. Yeah. I just feel like there's a bloody lie it would be a red lie, you know, by the last part of the song, you're yelling and your voice is breaking. And I love that about your voice is that you, you know, you can do so many, a lot of depth, tone and range and control, and you can kind of pull off any sort of emotion in that way. And you do it on this song really nicely. Thank you. Yeah. I kind of tried to take it as far as we could go in the vocal booth with this one. Definitely. To actually control your voice to make it break on cue. <laughs> like That's not easy. You know? I definitely psych myself up when I'm recording vocals. I try to, you know, I jump around and I try to picture what the singer of the song, the character is feeling at the time and really try to send that home. And, and I mean, sometimes it doesn't work, you know, but it's, I think it's always better to approach it with, with more energy instead of less. And then if you have to dial it back, you have to dial it back. But we go for balls to the wall and then we bring it back inch by inch until it's just sitting right where we think it can sit. I know what you're thinking. You don't need to make a sound. I'd be better off chasing my tail on the ground. But boy, I've got news for you. I've got a one-way trip rocket ship. Someday soon I'll have footprints on the moon song from one of your earlier albums, the album Go, is Footprints on the Moon. And this is a different type of song. Yeah, this is a, a show opener for us a lot of the time live, because especially when we have a, a fifth player, we, uh, we try to bring our Hammond organist along with us. And he does this amazing 
churchy overture at the beginning and just kind of builds the energy up. Like we'd start the lights dim and then he does this amazing, we just tell him to go and he just improvs for like four minutes and it just psychs us all up for the show. And then I come out and I do my thing. And this song is just really fun to play. So this is an aspirational song about being rock stars? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Actually, there's kind of a really funny story behind the lyrics on this one. So when Jocelyn graduated high school, uh, for her like graduation present, mom and dad got her tickets to see Maroon Five and Train. Oh yeah! And this was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. this was right when we were beginning to work with David. We'd only had like a high school band up until this point, and music had always been like a hobby. But we were just starting to get to the point where we realized that we could potentially pursue it as a profession. And so actually at one of those concerts, Jocelyn jotted down the tagline of Footprints on the Moon on a napkin during like the intermission of the concert. And then a few years later, when you know we'd written a few albums with David at that point and we'd started to tour nationally, we just like, I think she found the napkin. Or- I think we were kind of looking for ideas for songs. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I have a bunch of random pieces of paper in, in my drawer back home. I should just look and see if there's anything in there that we might want to explore. And it was actually, it was a grocery store receipt. I remember turning to mom. We were at, we were at the concert and I'm looking up on stage. Pat Monahan from Train is just singing his heart out and I love Train. And I just remember thinking like, I want to be up there. Like, I want to be up there. That's what I want to do. And at the time, you know, Chris had said, we just started working with David and I just... I think we were all feeling like for the first time that kind of live performance was something that maybe we could actually do someday. So I remember, you know, like, I want to do that. I want to have like, you know, what does it mean to, you know, to be up there and, and, and doing that? Like, what do I have to do to get there from here to there? And I just remember thinking like, you know, forget my name in the stars and on the boulevard someday soon, I'll have footprints on the moon. I turned to mom and I said, do you have any paper and a pen? I need to write this down right now. And she, of course, she's like, what? Because <laughs> Train is playing like Drops of Jupiter or something. She's like, what do you want? And that's her favorite song. song. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so grocery store receipt, wrote it on the back, put it in my pocket. When I got home, put it in my drawer that I put all my other scribbles in and promptly forgot about it for like three years, <laughs> four years. <laughs> Whenever we went to record it, yeah. So you wrote the line, ever since I learned to say my ABCs, I've had my mind dead set on MSG. Was that, I mean, that's obviously Madison Square Garden. Was the show at Madison Square Garden? It wasn't. It was actually at the State Fair. (laughs) But I was like, what's even more dramatic than the State Fair? MSG. All right, cool. (laughs) So Maroon 5 was at the show and Adam Levine is famously on The Voice. Um, You turned down... An invitation. Yes. You turned down four, <laughs> believe it or four not. Four <laughs> times they've asked you to be on The Voice, and you've turned them down four t- times. Yes, they have. Uh, they've been pretty persistent. We're, we're pretty close with the McNulty casting team at this point. We're like, hey, is, is Josiah still there? Like, how's Nancy doing? <laughs> it's always nice to be asked. You know, it's kind of like, for a lot of people, that is a lot of the live performance of music that they see the most, you know, that's the stuff that gets shared on social media a lot. That's the avenue that when they think of, you know, what good musicians do, they go on the voice or they go on AGT or, you know, they go on 
before or, you know, there's so many shows. So I take it as like a huge compliment whenever someone says, you know, hey, have you ever thought about being on The Voice? Like, you're really good because that's them just saying like, you know, I think that you could fit in there because you're really good. But having said that, Chris and I love writing our own music. And that's just not in the cards if you go on one of those shows. You know, it, you don't get to perform your own music. It would be just me, which it's never been just me. <laughs> yeah, I think at one point they were like, well, you know, maybe we could like, you know, put him on a guitar and he could be like in the pit. And I'm like, no, you know, like, you don't get it. This is a thing that we do together. And we like to sing our own stuff. It's the Jocelyn and Chris art. Exactly. It's not just a voice. It's a band. Exactly. Yeah. And, and also it's, it's really important to us that we get to sing our own, our own music. So. It's your own work. And uh, we love yeah. it that, that you write songs and, and put this creativity into becoming rock stars with your footprints on the moon. <laughs> Thank you. Which actually, you know, is actually becoming more and more a possibility in perhaps your lifetime, maybe not mine, with you know SpaceX and and oh, and, and <laughs> moon concert. Listen, if Elon wants to do like a concert on the moon, I'll, I'll do it. You you yeah. will sing this Call song up, on the moon for him, right? <laughs> if he wants to fly you there. I feel like what happens when you get to the moon? Like, what's the next step? Forget my footprints on the moon someday. I guess it's Mars. You know, after that, yeah, after that, Mars. You know, <laughs> once you're done the moon, where else can you go? Like, yeah, either Mars or retirement. Probably real. not going to be a big audience there. No, <laughs> the ticket price might be a little high too. I don't know how that would yeah. work. We could, we could live stream it. Everyone knows how to use live stream stuff. They in this live stream year. from the ISS, right? They do that all the time. So this is a funky beat. It's organ with funk. I mean, how would you guys describe the melody and the, the sound of Footprints on the Moon? I think organ with funk is a pretty apt description. We, basically, you know, the song, it's, it's got so much like confidence in the message and it's all about like, you know, someday I am going to be there. Someday I am going to be successful. It's like, we just thought that the music needed to have an appropriate level of swagger to back that up. So we tried to come up with like the smoothest, funkiest, you know, it's got that like the acoustic guitar combined with the drums and the epic bass line and the organ and like the lead and all of that stuff together. It just creates this like this kind of sound that it grips you in the chest and you can just like lean in and go like, oh, yeah, that's oh, what I yeah. want. This today. is definitely the, <laughs> the walk down the street with a lot of swagger and confidence song. That's kind of what we we're going for. I love it. The grip you in the chest, walk down the street with swagger and confidence kind of song. Okay. That's the simple formula for writing great songs. So you two grew up in upstate New York and Jocelyn, you are a ski instructor and Chris, you are a snowboard instructor at Gore Mountain. Yeah, that was our... Uh... Well, we're not anymore, but that was but, our, our high school gig. Well, when we weren't actually gigging, we were up there at the mountain on the weekends teaching little kids how to ski and snowboard. And this is all famous non-powder country where the ice is icy, <laughs> right? And uh, they, they call it ice face, white face, where Lake Placid is. All that, all those resorts around there, they, they, they typically don't get a lot of the fresh, white, fluffy snow that we get in Park City. But I imagine they do. And so one of the songs that you've written is called Weatherman. 
which is about snow. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was, that was, I like that segue. That was a good segue. I like that a lot. That was very smooth. Um, <laughs> is it not about snow or? Oh, no, no, no. It totally <laughs> is. No, you're totally right. Monday comes again. Just like any other. I run for cover. Turn on the TV. So this song is um, the story. Well, Chris has this beautiful guitar part, and that's it's one of my favorite, actually, guitar parts that I think Chris you've ever written. And it's just this gentle, beautiful guitar part. And I think I remember him jamming to this, just kind of you know jotting it down, or, you know, recording it in his phone, and thinking like it kind of reminds me of of snow falling. So that's actually where the song started and then started thinking about weather and it's written from the perspective of someone who watches the weather channel every day. You know, they get their cup of coffee and they sit down at the kitchen table and and they turn on the TV, local news, and they're in love with the weather guy. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's a love story about the weather guy. Yeah, and it's sort of like the the classic like you know, I'm in love with you, but you'll never know who I am kind of song, but with the twist that they're the weather guy and the singer is just watching them every morning and thinking like, if we could only get together, I'd show you how special you are. And I don't know, maybe it's a little creepy thinking about it, but. I have noticed this, Jocelyn, that especially whether women, the producers of those local TV stations tend to cast very attractive women who tend to be curvaceous i've noticed and <laughs> the weather like, base yeah i guess i didn't <laughs> want to say that and be you know sexist on my show but it it does seem like they're less concerned about the meteorological forecasting capabilities than other mm. attributes in in casting the job and mm -hmm. i can also understand i mean you know not every weatherman is bo hunky good looking but mm. this one obviously is yeah. I'm sure he has, you know, I'm sure he has a great personality too. He probably like, he probably is the guy who like dresses up in a, a green morph suit on Halloween to do those funny green screen things and all that, all that cool weatherman charisma. I just feel like that that's who I was thinking about. A weatherman with character. <laughs> but you weren't per se attracted to the weatherman. This was like your third party songwriting 
thing? Was, you, was, did you have a crush on the weatherman? Be honest. It was a thought experiment. I actually, I, I don't have like my go-to weatherman that I, I watch every morning. Um, I actually really? don't know what the there's weather no, is. There's no Al Roker in your life. There's- no, although he is a cool dude. We got to meet him on the Today Show and, and he's pretty cool. I guess the song could be about him. That's all right. <laughs> but ultimately, besides it being this love story for the weatherman, it is about snow, which you guys, I would assume, have an appreciation for as ski instructors. We love snow. I don't know why you'd live in the Northeast and not love snow. I mean, we get a lot of it. So if you hate it, you're going to be mad a lot of the time in the winter. But yeah, we love snow sports and, and uh, we've always been outdoorsy people. You took piano and vocals and Chris, you took guitar you took skis and you took snowboarding like do you just do opposite things all the time or different why is that that was actually a conscious effort on the part of our parents basically our family has always been pretty non-competitive we're just not super into competition and our parents really wanted to make sure that we were as non-competitive as siblings as possible So I actually originally wanted to learn piano, but Jocelyn had already started learning piano. So my dad just bought me a guitar and he's like, hey, I got a surprise for you. And he took me to the guitar teacher and handed me a guitar and he's like, you're going to learn guitar. And I was kind of ticked for like a week, but then I realized that guitar is cooler anyway. So it worked out. He's like, all right, fine, I'll keep doing this. No, that's a funny story, Chris. So his first guitar teacher, I remember you coming back. What was it? The guy didn't usually teach kids that were less than like... Oh, he was 12? Yeah, and I was eight at the time. So we got around it by, this is, you know, one of the many things that my dad has done that's been awesome. But my dad's like, well, okay, fine. Then I'll sign up for lessons. Can he just come? So, (laughs) so, you know, they show up and Chris, uh, dad has his acoustic guitar and Chris has his like mini acoustic guitar. They show up for their first lesson. And I, I think by the second or third week, the guy was like, okay, fine. You don't have to take lessons anymore. I'll teach this kid. I'll teach this kid some guitar. <laughs> You're not getting anywhere, but this kid's got talent. So yeah, this, this, guy, <laughs> this kid has potential, this eight-year-old. <laughs> it was pretty flattering to me as, as an eight-year-old kid. <laughs> well, Chris, I must say in watching your guitar play, you have such a wonderfully casual, nonchalant style. You make hard look so easy. It's like really fun to watch. I don't <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I feel like I make hard look hard, but I'm glad to hear that it doesn't come across. <laughs> so this song, The Weatherman, has, is it a flute in it? It is. Yeah. We know a great flutist, uh, flautist. Uh, <laughs> shout out to, uh, to Jeff Nania. That's the guy on there. He also, he plays a bunch of different instruments. Uh, he's played saxophone with us. He's played very sax with us. He's actually um, on the new record we've been working on, he's he's laid down some some pretty sweet Barry saxophone. But yeah, his flute playing on that is just, I mean, and we just basically said, hey, Jeff, like, do something beautiful. And of course, Jeff, in his quiet way, he's, he's this like quiet, down to earth guy. He just went in there and absolutely crushed it. And it was awesome. <laughs> it's really elegant between that and the cymbal work on the percussion set and your guitar work, it creates this romantic, mellow, beautiful confluence of sound. It's just... Thanks. That is definitely the vibe that we were trying to go for. When I wrote that, the kind of main guitar part of the song, I remember thinking that like, 
we don't usually do songs that sound like that. You know, we're more of a rock band, but it was just so like smooth and and beautiful. And it just felt like intimate, it's soft. And so we kind of wanted to bring that out in the recording. And we discussed putting some lead guitar on it. But once Jeff recorded that flute, we were like, this is perfect. It doesn't need anything else. This is just like, it feels like like a dance or something. It, it's just so like intimate and just really nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's a relatable experience. And snow, definitely snow. And snow. If you like to ski, we had, if you ever get to gig up in Jackson Hole, we had Peter, the Chan man, Chandler on the show, who actually went to Harvard Divinity School. And he has been playing at the base of the tram for over 20 years. (laughs) That's the dream. Does that come with a free pass? (laughs) Oh, man. We're going to get you to come out to Park City in the wintertime and, you know, on a regular basis. Oh my gosh. You don't have to tell us twice, but we got to ski out West one time. We went to Snowbird. Actually, when we went to Sundance, we got it one day at Snowbird and it was like, whew. So this is what snow is like. This is what real snow is like. And everyone, of course, there was like, you know, this really isn't that good. Like, you know, you should come back when, you know, we get some real snow. And meanwhile, we're like, what? (laughs) They call it the greatest snow on earth. It's a confluence of geological forces that causes the storms to hit the Wasatch Range after drying out over the the desert and then hitting the Great Salt Lake and just getting this lake effect right into the mountain range. It's just has the lowest lowest, um, concentration of water per inch of snow. That's why the powder is so fluffy. Oh, yeah. Whereas, you know, yeah. We'll get you out again. Into the red, out of the blue I was blinded by the lens I should be seeing you through Flick of a switch, your cover was blown I had a clinging suspicion like a heavy cologne You were selling your heart down the fire of escape I had my slow motion replay and my measuring tape The fun and the fight, the thrill of it all But we were powered by the pride that was preceding the fall A chemical fire, a fatal reaction Give it my all to try to win back a fraction Dripping in teaspoons, melting in miles You say I'm crazy but you can't help but smile Out in the open, feeling the cold This is the heartbreak Olympics and we're going for Calling the shots, you're raising the bet. We know this is the best it's ever going to get. One of the 
songs on the album, The Fun in the Night, is Kill in the Cure. And this actually has the title, The Fun in the Fight, as part of the lyrics. So I feel like, uh, especially in this song, a lot of the lyrics are these dualities that I just love putting two words next to each other. And the two words mean something very different when they're separate, but you put them together and it's just this... I just look, I, I geek out about words all the time, but um, just it completely changes the meaning of them having them linked together like that. So this song has a lot of those, you know, into the red, out of the blue. And so the fun in the fight, this goes back to, I guess, <laughs> I guess our tendency to, to write songs about these weird semi-obsessive relationship dynamics. But this is sort of like, to me, it means, you know, the struggle is what is the enjoyable part of the relationship, which I wouldn't recommend that. I don't think that's like a healthy dynamic, but as a, as a lyric to me, it's very interesting to think about the fact that like, maybe we're in this because like, you know, we work best when nothing's working, right? Like this is this idea that, you know, what we like most about the two of us is that we don't like each other. So that's kind of the idea of a time behind the fun and the fight. But, but we chose it as the, the album title because we also, you know, in our, our day-to-day as indie musicians, we come up against a lot of fights and a lot of challenges. And I think we, our team philosophy is just to kind of approach everything with the ideal that, you know, the challenge is is what we're here for and the challenge is the fun part. And we're going to stick with this because it's going to make it that much better when we finally accomplish the goal, knowing how much work and effort and fight we put into it. So there's no person that inspired this. There's no relationship that either one of you had that responded this, or is it inspired by the relationship with each other? (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. (laughs) No, we're luckily we're not at each other's throats all the time. And we also, we have happy romantic relationships, each of us that are not, not toxic, which is good. But again, this is, I think this is one of those slip into the character songs that I, I really enjoy writing the lyrics for. And and I think the riff is sort of that, it's sort of the same dynamic as an out of my head where it's like, there's this really, this riff that pulls you forward into the song and the lyrics kind of reflect the riff. There's a line, this is the heartbreak Olympics and we're going for gold. And I think somewhat unusually, Chris, you echo your guitar to the lyric because normally you do something more complimentary. And I'm talking specifically the um, rock version versus the acoustic version from the November album, One Night in November, where you don't do that on that. And it's like it caught my ear when it happened that you, why did you do that? So I would love to say that there's, there's like a deep, a deep meaning to like the guitar echoing echoing the lyric and if if anyone out there listens to it and they f- they feel like a deep meaning or something then you know art is up to everyone's interpretation i will say we decided to do it in the studio mainly because like you said like you listened to it and it caught your ear like creating those moments where you're listening to a song i mean like a song needs good roots it needs good lyrics it needs good structure it needs to like make sense and like feel good to listen to but 
I also love when music does those little things that are just fun or interesting or cool for no reason other than the fact that they're fun or interesting or cool. So I think actually like the first time we ever played that song as a band, the bassist was like, you know, I want to copy the vocal right there, which is not something that happens very much in our music. As you pointed out, usually the vocal is kind of off doing its thing and all of the music works together to try to support whatever the vocal is doing, but doesn't really echo it. Um, but that time the bassist played it and our bassist at the time, her name was Kate. We just fell in love with what she did. And we were like, oh, we need to include that on the album because it was just like this moment where it's like this song that's all about like, you know, these, this duality between like the lyrics are like, you know, every line is a duality and the instrument and the vocal, it's like the instrument is like really like sparse and robotic and like clockwork and the vocal kind of floats on top. And then there's this one section where all of a sudden it's just like everything hits you together in unison at the same time. And it was just, it was a moment that we didn't want to pass up in the song. Peace it out in parts, babe. Tell me where it goes. Come and use your fingers to keep me on my toes. Say it in a whisper. Play it like a scream over and over Till I wake up from this dream Give me just a minute To understand the power That I feel ignite within me When I've held you for an hour Come and pause the pacing Of the stars that I can't name Mercy Me, I think this is a very, very different stylistic song for you. And I think this one really reflects a maturation of your songwriting that impressed me. Thank you. It's nice to hear you say that. This is, I think, one of my favorites that we've ever written. And I think it is a reflection of how much we've changed as songwriters. And that's kind of why we kind of wanted to save it for last just because it's cool to to revisit some of the older tunes and then come back to the present and this is the most recent thing we've released uh, original wise it's definitely not a song that we could have written seven years ago or when we started writing songs which would be like what 10 years ago no longer than that but this is not a, a song that i would have been able to take notes out of the drawer from my you know elementary school bedroom and write this is a song that i think we couldn't have written until now. And we really, I think it's it's us at our most confident and also vulnerable at the same time. I mean, the song is about just being so in love that you're vulnerable, and but, but that vulnerability is what makes it so powerful. We really lean into that message. And, you know, it's, this song is not about trying to be clever or witty or swaggery. This song is just about, I don't know, just feeling that emotion. And I just think 
I'm just so happy with how it turned out. I listen to it and I just, I'd think about that feeling. And, and, and at least to me, it really, it really helps me feel that when I listen to it, which I think is a great reward. You said in one interview that this is about being powerless in love. Yeah, I think that's, you know, in order to be really, really in love, at least in my experience, I mean, you have to compromise and you have to be okay with that amount of emotion just taking hold of you. And you have to be okay with letting that emotion run its course. And there is a vulnerability in that. And there is a little bit of a powerlessness in that. But it's also, I think the trade-off is that, you know, it's just this feeling that you can't experience without. And I think it's definitely worth it. You also said that songwriting is terrifying, which I've never thought about or heard about. And I guess writing about being powerless in love might be terrifying, especially. Yeah, it definitely is, you know, take that vulnerability and then, you know, put it behind a megaphone. (laughs) And that's about where you're at with this one. I feel like as we've matured as songwriters, we've started to feel more comfortable writing music that is about our own experiences. And I, you know, I mean, we write a lot of these character songs and we've talked about that. And I think we'll always do that kind of writing, but definitely as we've grown up, being able to have the experience and have the emotional experience to be able to write songs with these kinds of themes and messages. I don't think that's something you can do in in middle school. I mean, at least the feelings would be different. The message would be different. And for us, at least for me, writing lyrics that are, you know, inspired by real life has been something that I definitely had to grow into. And I think songwriting is ultimately you're just you're sharing this thing that you put so much love and time and energy into. And I mean, Chris we pull our hair out writing these songs and and then the payoff for us when we finally get it right is so big and it's such a great feeling. But then, you know, there's always that step out the door you have to take where you have to sing it for somebody else. And that is, I mean, that's at the same time, I think the most terrifying thing about what we do and also the most exhilarating part about what we do is that we get to share that kind of connection with others. And then we get to stand there and and they get to hear it all, you know? That's just, there's something really cool about that. And I think it keeps us, you know, we try to stay humble knowing that, you know, we're going to have to get out there and bear it all every night. <laughs> so is this song at all autobiographical? Yeah. Yeah. This I, this one, I would say, you know, I'm lucky to, you know, be in a solid relationship where I feel like I finally understand these feelings enough to be able to put them in a song and and Chris is always, you know, we, we've grown as people and we've grown as songwriters. And I feel like I'm just happy that, you know, I have my best friend that I get to write songs with and be, you know, mushy, gushy and <laughs> dramatic <laughs> with. And, and he, he deals with it because he, he knows me. And it's just, it's really nice. We work really well as a team. Yeah. No, well, your brother and sister, I haven't heard any sense of sibling rivalry or, or fighting between you two. It's remarkable how how you two get along. I come from a family of uh, seven kids and oh wow, (laughs) we didn't always get along all the time, but we figured out a way to love each other. But you guys seem like, you know, you're certainly not like the Oasis brothers, Noel and Liam Gallagher. Those guys are so scary. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. You're like the opposite of the way you guys get along. (laughs) Man. Yeah, no, uh, honestly, I mean, we, we, we come from like a, you know, like we were saying earlier, our, our parents are pretty unique and, and not that we ever like 
didn't have any friends in school or anything growing up, but our family was always a little bit different. And I think as a result, we ended up just spending our time with each other as kids. Like, you know, we've always been each other's best friend. We were always the people that spent all of our moments, you know, crying or playing or growing together. And I think it's just made it like we know each other so well at this point and and we've been through so much together that it's it's just like we almost like have our own language when it comes to songwriting. Like I don't even know how I would write a song with somebody who's I mean, not Jocelyn. I we never have. We've yeah. never written songs separately. From the beginning, from the first song, it's always been both of us. So this is inspired by a love in your life? Yes. Yes. In my life, yes. And when you played this song for the first time to that person, what happened? Um, he is, uh, is awesome. He's awesome. And uh, it was nerve-wracking just because it's kind of one of the first songs that we've written that, you know, the lyrics have been about him. Um, but he, he, really, he really loved it. And I think it was a really cool experience. I was definitely nervous just because, you know, I mean we talk about these, you know, high level, like concepts of love and vulnerability, but to really get out there and, and, and say that kind of stuff, even if it's in song form, like in public, I mean, for me, it's always been a little bit scary. I get nervous all the time, but it was really empowering. And it was just a really positive experience sharing that with him and saying, you know, this is about you. And I think he's proud of me, which is, is really awesome. One of the lyrics in this song is I've got half a mind to give you all my heart. Yeah. I, uh, I'm particularly proud of that line. I, I, uh, I thought of that in one of my, like almost falling asleep, uh, <laughs> stupors. And then I had to like wake up and, and note it on my phone before I fall asleep. I, um, but yeah, just that, just that idea that like, I think it's time to jump, you know, I think it's time to, to do the damn thing. Um, that's kind of where I was coming from. Because I was wondering where the other half of your mind was. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Oh my gosh. Uh, it could be anywhere. Probably thinking about skiing or snow or <laughs> something. <laughs> you can't always be thinking just about your loved one. In life, huh? <laughs> <laughs> loved you ones in snow. It's, this is a balance. You need to have half your mind on something else too. <laughs> Well, I love this song. You know, they do say you sound like so many different people. The woman that came to mind when I was listening was Ann Wilson and Heart on this. It felt inspired by, it felt like a Heart song to me. Oh man, thank you so much. I love Heart. I really think that you are finding your own voice as a group and I don't like even saying that you sound like someone else anymore because it's really the Jocelyn and Chris aren't Joe. Is that the name of the band or is it sometimes you're going by Chris and Jocelyn when you just perform, I guess, the two of you or, or like, what is the branding here? The branding is Jocelyn and Chris. And we, we uh, about a year ago, we dropped the last name because we realized that it's kind of a mouthful and it's a little bit ugly. So... I mean, you know, a lot of people still call us Jocelyn and Chris aren't, and that's like, it is our last name. We're not like embarrassed about it or going to like go after anyone for saying it, but the, you know, we dropped it from like our logo and stuff. <laughs> if you can't remember Jocelyn and Chris, you 
should be listening to something else. You're in, wrong, <laughs> you're in the wrong temple. You're in the wrong church because this band is great. I want to thank you for coming on Backstory Song. It really was a treat to have you share your stories with us and open a real intimate part of your soul and, and your songwriting and this thing that I call the invisible language of songwriting. Thank you for having us. I mean, this is really fun. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like a lot of these stories, we don't get to, you know, most of the interviews we do are such, there's so many short form interviews. There's not really a good good venue for a lot of these really like long stories that just never get told. So it's really, thanks for like also, doing this I mean, and having us on. We haven't had an interview. I mean, this is like, I got nervous before we were going to talk to you because we haven't really talked to anybody besides, you know, each other and, and uh, our team for a while. We've kind of been on lockdown. So it was really refreshing and just Really nice. Thank you for having us. Well, we try to create a safe space on Backstory Song for songwriters to come and open up and and share it with your fans, really. you know. And we hope your fans like this interview. And we hope your fans get a chance to see you perform live like I did. Hopefully, we'll get to see you and meet you in person on July 17th at the Park City Institute. Ooh. Fingers crossed. Yeah, please buy tickets to that show and support the Institute. They had a rough year last year without a whole lot of performances. And the best thing, which Chris and Jocelyn, you should come out for, is the Saints and Sinners fundraiser that they throw. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. No, that is a wild affair. It's a costume ball. Oh, wow. That sounds really cool. The theme is you dress up like a saint or a sinner, so you can imagine the theater crowd that is supporting this great institution gets very creative. Great. Well, thank you very much. Is there anything else you want to plug for our show? We're on all the various social medias. If you, if you Google our name, they'll, they'll show up, but really I think just thanks for having us on. And uh, if you get a chance to go to that show, July 17th at the Eccles center, I mean, it was the first show, the first show for like real people, like a live audience that we booked in like more than a year. So when it came through, it was just like a moment of bliss. And and we are really excited to share the fruits of that moment with people who end up going. So we'll see you there. I want to thank DJ Wyatt Schmidt, my recording engineer, and our social media director, MC Owens. I want to shout out to Andrea Vallis for following us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks, Andrea. You're one of our biggest and best fans. It's so nice to have you on board. Please share our episodes with our friends and share the playlists that we are creating. The Jocelyn and Chris songbook will be on our webpage, so you will get to hear these songs from Spotify and other works. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.